Father, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, what a wonderful season of life. The young adult years where you're kind of sorting out direction, you're answering questions about where am I going to go, what do I want to do, what do I want my life to look like, who do I want to become. There's a lot of decisions and a lot of choices in the, the, the years just ahead that have an awful lot to do with shaping the long-term future of each life here. And Father, one of the critical decisions that each of, a, each of us has to make and in, honesty, in all honesty, it's not a once-in-a-lifetime decision. It's an ongoing decision to choose to allow you to have your way in our lives. But that takes, Lord, insight and wisdom about what it is that gets in the way from that being the reality for each of us. And for each of us, that's a combination of perhaps different things. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom about how it is that we can truly release our lives to you. For some, that doesn't feel very safe. For most of us, that doesn't feel very safe a lot of the time. We want to be in control in one way or another. And I pray, God, that tonight we would allow you, as we take some steps in that direction, to truly, truly have your way. Father, be with us in these few minutes and allow us, God, to hear from you, to understand and unlock some of those challenging concepts of, of what it takes for us to really release our lives to you, many of it seems so counterintuitive to us. So God, we give you these few moments, we pray in your name, amen. Well, last week Dave spoke about dealing with that inner Pharisee in all of us. He spoke about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, and how often we come to the reality that, well, I'm a Pharisee. It's easy for me to look down on others. For some of us, myself in particular, I, I do an amazing job of seeing myself in one way and ignoring the other. In other words, I've always, I've grown up, perhaps like many of you, um, with some messages in my life that have caused me to experience what I would consider low self-esteem. I have had low self-esteem my whole life. You know, some of us would feel poorly about ourselves. But I often use that as a, as a cover for other elements that are really prideful. You know, I may say, I may look down on someone who lacks self-awareness. I feel badly about myself, but at least I'm self-aware. And end up looking down on others who lack a certain self-awareness. And that is a pharisaical pride in disguise kind of thing. And I was praying over the last couple of days about what we could talk about tonight that would kind of piggyback on that. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I found myself going back to Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's going to be um, verses 24 through 26. We'll get there in just a moment. But it's one of the amazing, powerful, backward statements of Jesus. And so what we're going to look at tonight is one of the crazy things that Jesus said that if we're able to unlock the truth of it, we can really see how it is that we can release our life to God and not be that Pharisee, really let him have his way in us. And this grows out of a series of messages that I've done over the course of time entitled, Jesus Said What?, 
you know, these crazy things that Jesus said that you find yourself scratching your head about. I wonder how many of you have ever, as you're growing up, been encouraged by those who love you, maybe your parents and others, to go out there and lose. Yeah, go out there and I can't, son, I'm, it would be so awesome today if you went out there and lost. I'd be so proud of you. Our parents don't say that. Good job, sweetheart. You came in dead last. I love it when you lose. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that our parents say to us or other people say to us. Being a loser is not what life is all about. We don't want to be a loser. You know, today, the sports arena that many of you grew up in, if you, if you played sports, how many people played Little League or high, up into high school sports? Okay. I hate Little League sports. Can I just say that? Uh, and here's why I hate Little League sports. When my son was playing baseball, I discovered that we just didn't keep score. Why, why don't we keep score? Oh, well, it would damage. We don't want people to lose. We can't talk about who won. In spite of the fact that all the kids on the field, they, they do keep score, and they know who's winning. None of the adults are keeping score, but the kids know what's going on. And at the end of it all, Everyone gets a trophy. Whether you won or not, it's a participation trophy. What? This is pathetic. This is absolutely pathetic. One of the fundamentals in life is life is filled with competition. Life is filled with winning and losing. And sometimes we lose. We have to cope with that. I hate losing. I hate to lose. Whether it's losing in competition or losing in something even more significant than that, perhaps in the work world or something along those lines, none of us really want to lose. And today I want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 16 where the key to winning is losing. This is counterintuitive and it's hard to get our arms around, but we must get our arms around it if, in order for us to understand how we can unlock the secret of tru truly being winners. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 24. And it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, many people read this passage and they think to themselves, you know, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus is talking about here, but losing, whether it's in competition or in some other area of life, never really sounds like something I'm eager to do. So we just leave it there. We don't understand what it means to lose our lives. Or we may say, sure, sure, I get it. Following Jesus is about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. Well, it is about that. But as we unpack this passage, you'll see that it's so much more. See, most people see sacrifices. I put my money in the offering. I serve in a certain ministry regularly. Uh, I'm kind to those who I am around. Now, I, I can check off my I sacrifice for Jesus box, right? I mean, is that right? 
No, that's not what this passage is talking about. I may need to go through some hardship. I get it. Life's hard. That's, that's what he's talking about, right? No. That's not what he's talking about. So I want to take a few minutes and talk about, well, what exactly is he talking about? Because I believe that in order, again, to unlock not being a Pharisee, not living like that, living the way God wants us to with the idea that, well, he's having his way with us, that's what we're going to discover. So let's unpack this, this verse one piece at a time. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. So number one in this whole process is understanding what it means to deny yourself. Number one. What exactly does that mean? Many of you are thinking, well, I, I don't know, but I don't think I'm going to like it. The church has grappled with this for centuries. Asceticism, asceticism, which took root as a heresy early in the first century, describes a lifestyle characterized by abstinence from every sort of worldly pleasure, often with the aim of religious or spiritual goals. In other words, reaching a higher spiritual plane requires subduing and even forsaking physical pleasures of this world. Is this what Jesus is talking about? No, that's not what he's talking about. The Bible actually tells us that things are given for our enjoyment. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us, here it is, with everything for our enjoyment. And remember, the religious leaders of the day didn't like Jesus why? Because he spent so much time where? At parties with sinful people. And you never see Jesus making commands about all these things that people at these parties were supposed to stop doing. He spoke to them on a different level. Luke 7 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. After I gave my life to Jesus in high school, I went off to a very small Bible college. Now, you are very blessed, and you don't even know it, because you are kind of spiritually growing up from adolescence into adulthood in a very different environment than I did during this season of life. The primary evangelical focus during the season where I grew up, if you weren't a high church or you weren't Jewish or whatever, in conservative evangelicalism, was purely fundamentalist. What that means is the list of the things you weren't allowed to do was a lot longer than the things you were supposed to do. We didn't dance. We didn't play cards. We didn't go to movies. We didn't, the list of the things we didn't do, I know some of you are like laughing, like what? Like, are you from Mars? Like, th yeah, this is, this is really the way we, w the way it went. We couldn't play Crazy Eights because somebody somewhere was playing 
strip poker or something. We couldn't go to movies and watch Cinderella because there are bad movies out there. And there are. This is not what Jesus is talking about when he says deny ourselves. These are all a series of extra biblical laws and rules that have nothing whatsoever to do with denying ourselves. Jesus has so much more in mind. When we are willing to deny who we are in our natural proclivity, here it is, to focus on ourselves, our attitudes, our emotions, our pride, our self-pity, our self-centeredness, choose to lay aside what we think we deserve, we begin to trade with Jesus for all we are, for all he can make us to be. So deny yourself means to stop focusing on you. That's all it means. It doesn't mean to not have fun. It means to focus on him. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Focus on Jesus. That leads to the second part of our passage, which says, and take up his cross. You say, what does that mean? You say, oh yeah, yeah, I think I know what it means. Jesus carried the cross and suffered, so we must carry our cross and suffer too, right? Wrong. That's not what it means. It isn't related necessarily specifically to suffering, although you will do that. You will have suffering in your life. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus said, you must take up your cross and follow me, he hadn't been to the cross yet. The disciples didn't have a point of reference for Jesus going to the cross because he hadn't gone to the cross this was much earlier in his ministry. So he's saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And they knew what he meant by that. And it didn't have anything to do with him specifically going to the cross. You say, well, what did it have to do with? In Roman society, when a person was convicted and taken to be crucified, he was forced to carry his own cross. And what this represented culturally is that this showed publicly that that person was under the submission of the rule he had been opposing. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, what he is saying is reorient yourself to submission to Christ. So number one, deny yourself means to set your desires aside, which then leads to take up your cross, which doesn't have anything to do with suffering. It has specifically to do with submitting yourself, deny yourself, set yourself aside, and then submit to Jesus. Although salvation is a free gift, it does not mean that a person can continue to live the way they choose, right? I mean, we know this. If salvation isn't cheap grace. It isn't, oh yes, I receive forgiveness and then I can go out and live however I want to. The Bible tells us that we were bought with a price. We are not our own any longer. 
We are purchased out of bondage into freedom, which means to live with a yes, Lord response. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? In other words, if, if all this is by grace, woohoo! Shouldn't we just go out and do what we want? Therefore, there's more grace? By no means, he said. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. This is all metaphoric, figurative language. Into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus said it this way in the book of Luke. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not submit to my authorities, what he's saying, isn't really my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, you got to count the cost. What it means to, to know me, to follow me, is to set yourself aside and bring yourself under submission. We understand this. I mean, there's a cost for everything. There's a cost to go to school. There's a cost in a certain job. You want this job. You're going to comply with certain structures. You know what it is to submit yourself for, for the gain of whatever it is that you'd like to do. You know, I have to tell you, marriage is awesome. I love my wife. I love being married. We've been married for almost 18 years. But you know, marriage is really limiting. It's really limiting. There's a lot of things I'd love to do in life. I don't get to do. I'm not in charge of my own life anymore. I have responsibilities. Everything in life comes with a cost, if you will. Even the awesome things in life, even following Jesus. Olympic athletes, there's a cost. Anything out of their sport is out of the question. Waking up early, long practices things that you eat things that you don't eat a way that you carry on life why because there's a cost to do what you value we live in a world where people have choices and the question that you need to answer is are you choosing to set yourself aside and submit to Christ? In Christ, we are free. But it is not free freedom to sin. It's freedom from it. It's freedom from the bondage of it. Now, much sin doesn't feel like bondage when we're involved in it. Okay, so following Jesus means that I set myself aside and submit to him. If someone chooses to follow Jesus in this way, there's an amazing benefit to this person. Something amazing happens. Verse 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me 
will find it. Okay, so what does that mean? There's that word lose again. It means that we find ourselves in Christ. You are in a critical season of life where you are making choices that define who you are. You are more and more separating from your family of origin, separating from the influence of your parents, the separating of the issue, and be saying, well, who am I? Who do I want to be? What do I value in my life? What, I want to, what do, do I want to define me? Am I embracing the faith, the whatever of my family? What's in alignment? Where, where am I staying the same? Where am I becoming unique? How am I different? Who am I going to be? Jesus is saying that when we are willing to set our desires aside and submit to him completely, then and only then will we be able to find out who we were truly meant to be. In other words, I can be the best me the me that he intends me to be only when I stop taking my life into my own hands. When I give up the me that I think I'm supposed to be and submit to God to be the me that he wants me to be, then, then I can be that which God has designed for me to be in heart, in mind, in every way. The word life in this passage. Whoever wants to save his life, lose his life. The word life, whoever wants to save his life, it doesn't refer to physical life. This isn't about life or death, but finding oneself. And whether you're consciously doing it or not, whether you think about this a whole lot or not, you are in the process of shaping and finding who you are right now. That's what being a young adult is. And the question is, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Will you be in charge of who you become? I promise you, you're going to be a better you if you let Jesus be in charge of that. Since 2004, my family has been addicted to The Biggest Loser, the show The Biggest Loser. We absolutely love watching people's who, people whose lives are a disaster take a different, literally take a different shape over a period of all these weeks. We love to see how their lives are kind of the, the, the issues of their lives and the struggles of their lives all come out through this whole journey and the transformation that occurs all along the way. And the phrase, the whole concept of the show, the biggest loser is genius because it takes the concept of losing and it transforms it into winning. So when they say you're not the biggest loser, that's bad. That means you're going home. And when you are the biggest loser... You've won. Genius. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Stop. Do you believe that each and every day 
that it is your desire, it is your choice for Jesus to live through you. That's what it's saying. That my life isn't my own. I've been bought with a price. We've talked about that. And each and every day, the manifestation of life is that Jesus. Is it recognizably Jesus? When other people look at you in your daily living and they go, hmm, something's different about that person. They may not be able to utter, oh, that's Jesus in them. But do they sense that that's the way it is? Do they sense something that is unique and different and what they're sensing is Jesus living in you? The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's say that I agree, that I become the best me I could ever be when I deny myself and I submit myself to Christ fully the question is how? How do I do that? You say, Jim, I, I love what you're saying. I, I think you're right. I, it's hard. It's a kind of a bit of a mind bender because this, you, know, you, lo- you win when you lose thing. It's a little hard sometimes to get your arms around. Are there some steps that I can take? Are, are there handles that you can give me to hang some things on? Are, are, are there concepts that I can practically wrap my arms around each day to help myself set myself aside, come under the submission of Christ and allow him to then live in me. Is, is, are, are there things that I can do? Yes, there are. Let me give you a few. Step number one is recognize that we are not in control of our lives. We are not in control of our lives. The goal of most of all of us, most of the time, is to stay in control. I want control. I want to make some choices. I whether it's college or work or what I do with my money or whatever. You are all in the, 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 the part of the season that you're in right now is sorting through issues of control. When the people in your life, parents or whatever, when they say X, do you have to do that? How does that work? You are navigating issues of control in your own life. Some of you are completely out on your own. Some of you are not so much. Some of you are in the process of negotiating that. You're dealing with financial issues. The decisions, what what do you get to control? What do your parents get to control? The fact of the matter is, is, as you navigate that reality in your world right now, you are being lulled into a false sense of reality that you will ultimately be in control of your own life. If you're out on your own, that means you're in control, right? Wrong. No, it doesn't work that way. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business. We'll make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, James says. What is your life? Come on, you're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, all such boasting is is evil. I got married much later than most people, many people. Um... Everybody in my family, most of my peers, most of my friends through college got married somewhere in their mid to late 20s. 
I was 37 when I got married. And so I had this, this especially huge illusion that I was actually in control because I'd lived so much of my adult life and the only one I was responsible to was me. And then I got married and then God gave us kids and all of a sudden I realized just how out of control. I mean, all these people are free agents who are ruining my life, you know, who were like making choices that I can't control. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? I have a program here. What do you mean you have a mind of your own? What do you mean you have likes and dislikes that are different from mine? Like the time we had the big, huge Gatorade spill on the white family room carpet. You know, that doesn't come out. You know, you, you realize that doesn't come out. We were in our house for less than a year, brand new house, beautiful hardwood floors. We had a staff party. And this staff person, long gone, so don't try to figure out who it is. They don't exist here anymore. She decided to wear these spike high heels. I mean, I'm like, I don't know how she balanced on those toothpicks. I'll tell you that much. It was just insane. And for about an hour, she stood on, on, in the kitchen, and she went like this. And that next morning, after everyone went home, there had to have been at least 200 small holes in my hardwood, brand new hardwood floor, all in, all in about this big of a space. I am not in control of my life. <laughs> and I'm not happy with that. I'm like, are you kidding me? To this day, she doesn't know that that happened. And to this day, every time I walk through the kitchen, I see those 200 or so little holes in my hardwood floor. I've made a commitment to myself. When my children go off to college, we're having the hardwood floors redone so that I can return to a level of sanity that was lost that day all those years ago. And a constant reminder that I am not in control of my life. My encouragement to you as young adults is to get used to the idea that you're not in control of your life right now and you will make, you have a much happier adulthood. You really will. If you come to grips with the truth that your life isn't your own, it's in much bigger hands, Jesus is a much better steward of your life than you are. And every time one of these things happens, my wife just keeps saying the same thing over and over again to me. She goes, honey, we live in a house, not a museum. We live in a house, not a museum. It's okay. We live in a house, not a museum. So if you hear me muttering, you know, that sometimes these, I just have to rehearse these things over and over, reminding myself that it's true. And we could go on and on and on with illustration after illustration, and you have them in your life too. Get comfortable with the reality that you aren't in charge of your own life. That step each day, embracing that truth, will help you deny yourself come under the submission of Christ and you will be a better you, the you he wants you to be. Step number two, the second thing we need to recognize, we need to realize, is that we do not know what's best for our lives. We live in this illusion in our world, number one, that we're under control, but number two, that the choices that we make are always good for us, that we're responsible for our decisions, and you should make good decisions. You are learning how to make better and better decisions in different arenas of your life. But if people knew 
always what was best for them. There is so much about life that we would never do. When I was a young adult, although I know that things are, are much easier in access today, I had a very serious pornography addiction. Only now in retrospect, as I look back, do I realize the incredible damage that I did to my life. I didn't think it was that big of a deal then. And now I look back and I realize the unbelievable damage that I did to myself. We think this decision isn't that bad. It's not that impactful. And it is. And it is. We think we know what's best for us. We think we can manage even our, what we consider to be moderately sinful choices. It's not that bad. We routinely act in ways that do not represent what's best for us. Pastor Lon always says that he has a spiritual gift of self-destruction, and I think that's true of every human being. Every human being. You have an amazing capacity to screw up your own life. And until you come to grips with that truth, you will not be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross or submit to Christ, and let him give you the life that he wants you to have. Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because I, the Lord, dis because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You understand the dynamic of discipline. We all do. We just don't think that it's that we need it that much. The third step in understanding this process of denying and submitting, carrying our cross, and allowing God to give us the life that he wants is that we need to understand that we cannot, we need to recognize that we cannot understand pain apart from Christ. We cannot understand pain apart from Christ. It is my contention that the promise that all things work together for good to those who love God is truly that, just for those who love God. For a person out there in the world who doesn't know Jesus, pain is simply pain. It may be redeemed. It may find value. They may be able to embrace some profit to it, but there is no guarantee that that's true. God says it's a guarantee for you and for me if we follow Jesus. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When bad things happen, we tend to grasp for control and letting go for, for into Christ's hands. Romans 8.28 is very familiar to most of us. What, what isn't familiar to most of us is Romans 8.29. 
Romans 8.28 says, And that we know in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But we, for, we forget that verse 29 is right there behind it. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, the difficulty of our lives as God shapes it and transforms us through it, the goal is that we look a lot more like Jesus. Without pain, that's impossible. You say, I want to be just like Jesus. And my conviction is, no, you don't. You don't want to look like Jesus as much as you think you want to look like Jesus because the process of making you like Jesus is through pain, and we don't want that. And we don't recognize that the difficulty of our lives is part of God's process in making us look like Jesus. If you are not submitted to Jesus Christ, there's absolutely no guarantee that your pain will make sense. People die at the end of a painful life and go into eternity no better off because of it if they are apart from Christ. It's futility. But Jesus assures us in this passage that no matter what we face in Christ, God weaves it into the fabric of our life, creating us to be something we could never be otherwise. And it makes sense. That job situation, that tragic loss of someone that you love, that foreclosure, and we could go on and on with whatever difficulty you may face in life. God is creating you to be like him. As we deny ourselves in our agenda, as we carry our cross, which means to submit to him, he then creates us. In 2006, Elizabeth Gilbert's best-selling novel, Eat, Pray, Love, was turned into a movie. It was based on her true-to-life memoirs. She finds herself approaching midlife, and she's unhappy. She's unhappy with a normal suburban life, kind of like what most of us have around here. Her husband isn't a bad guy. He's just not an exciting guy. And she feels she's missed out on life. So she divorces him and goes on this three-country tour to find herself. In Italy, she rediscovers her passion for life and food, which is the eat. In India, she discovers prayer and simplicity, which is pray. And in Indonesia, she rediscovers the true value of relationships and she remarries. Interestingly enough, I just read a news article that here 10 years later, she's divorcing the guy that she married in the love portion of the eat, pray, love. Doesn't sound like she found herself to me. The book was wildly popular, and it touched many people's lives. They're like, yes, this is it. And there are stories of people doing what she did, divorcing and traveling internationally to find themselves. I would suggest to you that blowing up your marriage and going on an international tour to find yourself isn't the answer to finding yourself.
So I believe the key to actually finding ourselves is to truly follow Jesus by denying ourselves, submit to him, which is carry our cross, as we find ourselves then in Christ. To do this, each of us must, I believe, do three things. We must recognize that we're not in control of our lives. Truly embrace that truth. Number two, we need to recognize that we really don't know what's best for our lives. But he does. Number three, we need to recognize that we cannot understand pain apart from Christ. But in Christ, your pain makes sense. It is a promise. It is a guarantee. Sean, can we put that whole, does all that fit on a slide? Is all that on one slide there? The closing? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. These are the steps. To truly follow Jesus, deny yourself, submit to him, a.k.a. carry your cross. And that will allow you to find yourself in Christ. Daily, the process each day, recognizing the three things that we just talked about. I want you to just take a minute and look at the screen. I want you to kind of try to process the reality of what does it mean to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. And I want you to take a look at those three things that it says we must recognize, we must recognize. And I want you to kind of sort of try to take that in with where you are right now. In this season, the things that you're navigating in your own life, in your own journey, where are you going? What are you struggling with? Because I promise you these things will be, they will go with you long into your adult years. And the better you are able to navigate them now and embrace them, the more you will be accepting, the more you will be successful, if you will, at truly being able to deny yourself, submit to Christ by carrying your cross and seeing him manifest. It was only after a decade or two of my adult life that I realized I wasn't doing very good at these things. I was living the Christian life, but really trying to stay in control. And you know, when God loves you, and he really wants to live in your life, he really wants to use you, He's not above making life hard on you so that you can actually embrace this. Because he can't do what he wants to do in your life until you do. Just take a minute, and then I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that your word is all that we need. It's all that we need to live successfully, God. It's all that we need to define what living successfully actually is and then doing it. Father, I pray for every person here. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom. God, that when we're running smack into a wall of frustration, 
God, I pray that you would help us to unlock these kind of backward statements of Jesus that sometimes are hard to get our arms around. What does it really mean? Father, concepts that really feel backwards about how most people live their lives. We're not taught in our world to deny ourselves. We're not taught to set ourselves aside. We're not, this isn't what it means to get ahead. So Father, we struggle with living in this world and with the encouragement of our culture about how to live when so much of your word is is contrary to that. God, forgive us for trying to grasp for control. Forgive us for wanting to be in charge. Forgive us for not trusting you to, to be in control. And I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to understand on a very practical level each and every day what it means to give our lives to you, to deny our ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow you. Because whoever wants to save their life, uh, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for your sake, ah, that's when we find it. That's when we become the people that you want us to be. I can be the me, the best me that you want me to be when I live that way. Father, we thank you. Give all these things to you in your great name.